Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode. Today, we are going to have a discussion around the FCPA Resources Guide, which was released in a very, uh, I should say, second edition, which was released with a very soft opening either uh, sometime on uh, Thursday, July 2nd. Uh, it is now in the public domain. It uh, supersedes the original resource guide, which was released in 2020. So, Matt, uh, first of all, uh, welcome back from your Fourth of July sojourn. Uh, hello, Tom. It is great to be back here. And uh, as always, I am working from the lovely quad at the Harvard Law School, which uh, they still they forgot to put out their put away their picnic tables in March when we had our lockdown. So I get to come down here and. Think about corporate compliance in the quad of the greatest law school in the universe uh, every single day. So, Matt, the uh, Harvard announced that 40 percent of its student body would allow, be allowed to return to campus. But those who will participate in education at Harvard offline or I should say online um, will have to pay full tuition. Uh, will that apply to radical compliance? Uh, you know, I am happy to continue paying what I have always paid here for Harvard. I've been hanging out here for years and paying zero, uh, just mooching off of their Wi-Fi and occasionally buying something at the uh, building cafeteria, which is now going to be closed, so I won't even be able to pay that. Well, there you go. So uh, we have now uh, some eight-plus year, almost eight years later, a second edition of the resource guide. It's not a revolutionary new document, Matt. It, it updates some case law and some enforcement actions. It adds a new prong to the 10 hallmarks, previously 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. It does have some new information. Are there any things that really uh, stand out to you on kind of a first quick pass? Well, a, a couple of things did stand out to me is um, – you know, it really is an update to the original guidance rather than a sequel. It's not like a second novel in a series or anything like that. Um, a lot of the basic structure of the first edition is still carries through in the second edition. And the big themes and important points that the Justice Department has always been hammering away at, they're still the big themes and the still the big points here. Um, strong tone at the top. Uh, that's always been one of the big go-to themes that the Justice Department has hit on. It's still here. Uh, dual avenues of enforcement between the SEC and the Justice Department, and you have to keep both of those balls juggling in the air at the same time. Um, that's still a message here. And the hallmarks of an effective compliance program, it does uh, all of what was there before, still is. And I like the guidance because it provides more detail and more examples. And what I really like, actually, is a couple of places. It specifies examples of good compliance programs that resulted in a declination, even if that good compliance program 
failed to catch some sort of an incident. Um, one thing that stood out to me, I'll, I'll even tell readers, it's right on page 68, um, where there is a case study, anonymized, we don't know exactly who this was, but a financial services firm that had been wanting to do business in China, had a very robust compliance program, and what that was was detailed in this example. The robust compliance program still failed to catch that a senior Chinese official had lied about his involvement in one of the uh, investment vehicles that was involved in a joint venture or something like that. Um, But you really get to see this firm put itself through with the paces of a good compliance program, still didn't catch everything because no program ever will. And yet the Justice Department and the SEC looked at it and said, that's good enough for us to show that you had a good, sincere intent and you had a robust program. Mistakes still happen, so we're not going to crucify you. That's a nice message to hear. It is a nice message to see. And, um, you know, now that we've had eight years between the first and second edition, we have a lot more examples like that that you can be peppered into the second edition. And that, that's, um, that's probably the, the best new edition I've seen is that richness of detail. So, Matt, that really ties into the point that uh, I wanted to start with, which is the new edition on the hallmarks of an effective compliance program. That new edition uh, is entitled Investigation Analysis and Remediation of Conduct, and it starts off with the first sentence. The truest measure of an effective compliance program is how it responds to misconduct. Then goes on to state, accordingly, for a compliance program to be truly effective, it should have a well-functioning and appropriately funded mechanism for the timely and thorough investigation of any allegations or suspicion of misconduct. And that, uh, I think, is a very powerful statement that really encapsulates what you uh, found so interesting with the case study that the Department of Justice really wants to see how do you respond uh, it, because that's the only time you'll be in front of the Department of Justice or the SEC is if you have a compliance program failure. So how did you respond? What was the state of your compliance program at the time the incident occurred? Did you investigate? Did you do a root cause analysis? Did you remediate uh, so that uh, you hopefully will not have this issue again? And I think that many compliance practitioners perhaps had not focused on uh, that r- third part of the three parts of any effective compliance program remediation. But the DOJ certainly uh, has put that uh, front and center as how you need to think through the pressure testing of a compliance program, which might, might, might a um, uh, either an FCPA violation or at least a uh, violation of your internal compliance program. Yeah, I was intrigued to see that they added root cause analysis to their hallmarks of an effective compliance program. Um, But when you think about it, you shouldn't be surprised that it's in there because that comes from the DOJ evaluation guidelines of the effectiveness of a compliance program. And I can't remember if root cause analysis was in the original version of those guidelines from 2017. It was definitely in there by the second version in 2019. Um, It's still in there for the newest evaluation guidelines that came out about six weeks ago. But that root cause analysis part didn't exist in 2012 with the first edition of this resource guide. So we shouldn't be surprised that We've been talking about root cause analysis in other places for the last couple of years. So, of course, it winds up in version 
2.0 of the resource guide. Um, but to your point that, yeah, you know, you have to be able to figure out what you did wrong and how you improve. Um, that is a big part of what an effective compliance program does. It catches its mistakes. It understands how it made a mistake and then it tries not to make them again. So um, that's all logically consistent with what we would expect to see in resource guide 2.0. Original formulation of root cause analysis that was presented to the public came about in the 2017 version of the evaluation of corporate compliance program document. If I can be so impertinent to suggest that our listeners uh, would check out the radical compliance podcast where Matt interviews Wei Chin on that document, as uh, I think she did a really good job of explaining that uh, going forward. Matt, uh, yeah. one of the things that we have touched on uh, on this podcast, and I know you you and I both write about, is the evolution of thinking of the regulators in this space and that companies are evolving, products and services are evolving, certainly the bad guys are evolving, bribery schemes are evolving, but the government's thinking evolves. And this seems to be a culmination, culmination of uh, the thinking uh, that led to uh, this document uh, over several years, I saw as far back as um, a couple of enforcement actions after the original 2012 resource guide. Certainly the uh, FCPA pilot program had components that uh, became part of this uh, second edition, the 2017 evaluation, the 2019 evaluation, the 2020 updates to the evaluation some of the language in this document uh, we saw actually in the 2020 update. So they were clearly cross-fertilizing. Is there anything that kind of you see uh, on the development or evolution in DOJ thinking or SEC thinking that uh, might have impacted your thinking? Well, that raises an interesting point about it's worth remembering who wrote this guideline or this resource guide uh, or who led the decision to have a version 2.0 of it. And that would have been somebody like Brian Benskowski, who is the assistant attorney general for the criminal division up until I think last week. He just left um, his boss, Matthew Minor, who was the deputy assistant attorney general who oversaw the criminal division um, for he left last fall. But when you think about it, people like Minor, people like Benskowski, they joined the administration in 2017 or so. So what were they doing before that is they were on the receiving end of the original guidance and they would be working with clients because they all were at big law firms and you'd have these corporate clients come in waving around resource guide 1.0 or the evaluation guidelines that came out in 2017. And here were people like Matt Miner and Brian Benkowski basically saying, where did this stuff come from? Does this make sense? And they were defending against those things. And then, of course, they wind up in the department. So now, basically, Benskowski came in, and I had heard that one of the things he wanted to do was uh, modify, modernize, overhaul, clarify, first the evaluation guidelines, and then the resource guide. And so here it now is. Um, so I suppose... It is the culmination of thinking both on the enforcement side for the last couple of years, but the people who wrote it also were on the receiving end of the original wave of guidance. Um, so that's where this came from. And I just thought that was worth noting. Um, does raise an interesting question. What might happen with this resource guide and more evaluation guideline come 2021 
if there is a Biden administration, we could talk about that. But um, that's you know, one of the big questions I had was why this document? Why now? And notice, as soon as this guidance and the evaluation guidelines came out last month, once these two things were done, minor, he's gone. Benkowski, gone. Um, many other people in the Justice Department who would oversee these projects, they're all gone. I, I don't know what we might see if a Trump administration continues, but that's where we are. Aware this has been under revision for at least 18 months and perhaps even longer than that internally mm-hmm. to the uh, Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, but I wanted to maybe uh, get your opinion on, a, on another question. We have both talked about the 2017 evaluation, its 2019 update, or uh, 2019 update, and then of course the 2020 update. How would you, uh, if you were uh, thinking about the priority of these documents? So we've got a 10 hallmarks, or now 11, found in the uh, version 2.0, second edition of the resource guide, still fairly general language. We have more specific language found uh, certainly in the 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs. Do you see a way that these can be read in conjunction or in some way along a uh, single line, or would you view them, tend to view them as separately, separate documents to read separately? Closer to the latter. They are definitely complementary, but I would describe both of them in the following ways. The resource guide is really good because it is readable for a sophisticated layman, um, but it is an excellent primer on anti-corruption law for audit and internal control executives, and it is an excellent primer on internal control challenges for lawyers. Um, You will need, as a corporation, to understand both angles to fully comply with the FCPA. And this resource guide does a very good job explaining the basics of each for the other audience. You are naturally, whoever you are, you are naturally going to have one area of expertise more than another, but you will be able to follow along for that second half, no matter which side you're on. And I really like the guidance for that or for the resource guide for that. That said, For most people who have been in corporate compliance for more than about two weeks, you really should already know the basics that are in the resource guide. Um, It is not news that books and records violations are a big way for companies to trip up. It is not news that you could get dinged by the the SEC on that, even if the Justice Department doesn't prosecute you, Um, and vice versa, I suppose. So for a lot of listeners... You should really already know the basics of what's in the resource guide. It's great that it has new details and it's updated and it captures all the the latest Justice Department policy and thinking. But, you know, it's not breaking news for anybody who's been doing this for a while, as opposed to the evaluation guidelines. And that is the sort of thing I would say is probably more important on a practical level, because if you are sitting opposite a federal prosecutor talking about an FCPA resolution, you're going to have to talk about what's in the evaluation guidelines and say, this is why my program works. The resource guide will just help you say, this is why I understand what the FCPA is. You should be past that. You should not be in the settlement room if you don't know what the FCPA is about. But you should be able to defend your compliance program's effectiveness. And the evaluation guidelines are pretty much a a roadmap to help you do that. So you know, which one is more important to be able to have rock solid rebuttal arguments 
It's about the evaluation guidelines. That that would be my opinion. Thing that struck me about the 2012 version of the resource guide still strikes me today, Matt, which is it is a fabulous one-volume compendium of all things FCPA. It does give us the hallmarks. It does give us the specific provisions of the FCPA. Mm-hmm. It highlights the relative paucity of case law interpreting the FCPA. It gives the uh, U.S. sentencing guidelines and the FCPA corporate enforcement policy in addition to the accounting provisions and internal control provisions that you have talked about. And it puts it all in one document. Uh, At least the electronic version is available for free. Uh, The print version of the first uh, edition cost, I think, $25. But for one resource in one area of law, I can't think of a of another document from the government which really p- packed as much of a punch of simply information as the resource guide. I, I would agree with that, absolutely. And uh, it is an excellent primer if you are drafted into your first compliance officer role if you've never had to encounter the FCPA before and now suddenly you drew the short straw and you do have to build a program and you don't really know much about it, this is an excellent, excellent resource guide to be able to walk you through everything you'll need to know to be able to get started. And the uh, c- contrast that to the evaluation guidelines, which are everything you need to know to get you finished with a specific FCPA problem. But running a compliance program generally, the resource guide is just, like you said, fabulous one-volume compendium. And, Matt, I guess I would like to end on maybe this following note, that uh, in spite of the insane actions of the Attorney General and where the Department of Justice, he has taken the Department of Justice at the very top, we see the rank-and-file prosecutors and other representatives in the Department of Justice providing solid information. So I just want to thank the the men and women of the Department of Justice, because they're obviously continuing to do their job, whether they're impacted uh, directly or indirectly by the attorney general. Uh, They've laid out for us, I think, a a fabulous document that we can use for some period of time going forward. And it really, to me, speaks to their professionalism. You know, I absolutely agree with that. Um, It's worth remembering that as much as the the feds might drive us crazy sometimes with enforcement actions, they are trying to help compliance officers do your jobs better and more easily because they're giving you the resource guide. They're giving you the evaluation guidance. It takes a long time to put some of that together. um, And it is a labor to help you listeners do your jobs more effectively. Um, This is somewhat tangential, Tom, but I would also add, I actually do think that even if, regardless of who wins the election in November, I do think that FCPA enforcement is going to continue in roughly the same way that it had before. Um, I don't think we're going to see any novel enforcement theories. I don't think we're going to see billions poured into the Justice Department resources uh, to mount many more cases. But, you know, we all thought originally in 2016 that the FCPA enforcement would go away because Donald Trump said it's a terrible law and he hates it. It hasn't gone away. Um, We've all wondered sometimes would Democrats be more vigorous in enforcement? Maybe they might be more vigorous, but it's still going to be enforced. 
in kind of sort of the same way as being enforced right now. So the resource guide is going to, I think, stand through the test of time. I don't think we're going to see a version 3.0 coming out next March, for example. I think this is going to be around for a while yet. Matt, I think that's a great note uh, to end on, and let's see what next week brings us. All right, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener, and we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.